Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. This is episode 598 for the 4th of May, 2022. Saxophonist and songwriter Matthew Hurd hails from Scotland, but lives in London where he leads the band Seafarers. Featuring some of the finest UK-based jazz musicians, like vocalist Lauren Kinsella and drummer Dave Hamblett, the group just released their second album, aptly titled Two. Recorded at Peter Gabriel's Real World Studios, it builds on the group's first album that combined contemporary folk and chamber pop with an emphasis on the song at hand. The second album also sees Matthew move more firmly into the role of songwriter, barely bringing his horn to the party, but no less present in Seafarer's sound and musical mission. Here is our conversation. Hi, and welcome to The Jazz Session. Hello, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I have been a big fan of your music, and specifically the band that you spearhead, which is called, or who are called, Seafarers, for many, many years now. And so I was very excited when I was in a position where I could potentially chat to you for this podcast, and then you um, sweetened the deal because you made it known that you had a new album coming out. Yes, the sort of um, remarkable timing. <laughs> yeah, so I like to think that it was personal. So thank you, Matthew, for the gift. I just can't. <laughs> I knew this was coming up, and we had to. We had to. We need to. We had to have something to talk about. So we may as well record. <laughs> exactly. So very quickly, you gathered pennies and went into the most astounding studio in Bath with the most amazing, you know, UK-based musicians, and you thought, "I think Nikki will like this." Well, well done. Mission accomplished. And I feel very special. Let's just start with where does the band name come from? That's a 
That's a great question. Um, so I do, I, I, there is actually a story. Um, um, my, it was, I think it was years ago, I was having dinner with my dad and he grew up on uh, the east coast of Scotland um, in Aberdeen. And uh, he'd been doing a bit of research into the family tree. And it turns out that um, the, uh, that the lineage goes back to, um, to fishermen uh, and who had little, little trolley boats. And he said that there was a beautiful um, painting in the, in the Maritime Museum in Aberdeen, which was of, uh, of a big, big ship that was, um, that was a collapsing at sea. And uh, there was a, and there's a little tiny boat um, of apparently, and I'm not sure this is just romantic or if it is actually, this, this, this is actually generally part of the herd lineage um, uh, of apparently um, my great, 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 whatever is rescuing these, um, these passengers off this, off this big boat. Um, I've actually not seen the picture, um, but the picture is called, the painting is called The Seafarers. Um, and it was the only name that ever, um, it's the only thing I've ever called anything that I've felt okay about. You know, it's the only, uh, like I have to name tunes all the time uh, um, and albums and and it's the only one, it's the only thing I've ever called anything that's, that feels good. So I've just kept it. <laughs> I've never changed it. I've changed the lineup of the band, but I've never changed the name. I wanted to ask you if you actually studied jazz because you are Scottish, although you're, you're now based in London. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I grew up in Glasgow and I studied in Glasgow for um, for a few years, um, a, just a, a sort of open ended music degree, um, which was which was great. Actually, I didn't really do much studying. I did a lot in the way of playing and meeting people in the scene. But um, a, uh, and the uni thing was great for me for like make, for, for making connections and stuff. But I, it was a kind of it was interesting because I was very much a sort of learn on the job kind of thing. Um, I had a really great teacher, and Glasgow is an immense has got an immensely rich musical heritage. Uh, really great jazz scene. Obviously, it has um, uh, a huge Celtic music. Um, that's its that's its uh, that's its home. And its um, and its heritage, I guess, is in Glasgow. Um, so. Uh, and a really amazing place for 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 artists working across genres and stuff. It's a real, um, uh, yeah, it's a real crossroads in many senses. It's really fantastic. Um, but then I moved to London um, because I wanted to specialise in jazz. I'm, I'm, I'm a saxophone player, um, and a, um, yeah, and I came down here about twelve years ago to study at the Royal Academy of Music, um, where I specialised in in jazz, and sort of thought that the rest of my days would be spent playing jazz saxophone. Um, Oh, contrary. <laughs> and we'll get yeah. to that, especially on this latest album, which is such an interesting plot twist, Matthew. Um, if we look at Seafarer's music in this world that you've created now over two albums, the music is it's very contemporary. Uh, there's quite a bit of their spoken word on the first album. I don't think so much on the second album, if I know. Uh, there are some soundscapes which are used really beautifully and um, tastefully. If I held your feet to the coals and forced you to categorise the kind of, I guess, genre label of this music, of this band, how would you describe it? It's a horrible question. I hate myself for asking it, but I also think... It is he can handle it's it. It's useful. It's a useful thing to ask. Um, uh, so I, I, 
I kind of just go off what other people said. So the first album people tended to call contemporary folk. Um, I'm kind of cool with that. That's, that seems to work for me on that record. This one seems to be getting called chamber pop, which I also quite like. I think that's quite sweet. Um, there was there was a chap who said the other, the other day he said um, he was like, "Do you sit down when you play? I can imagine you just also like like a, like a sort of um, Beethoven quartet kind of, <laughs> you know." Um, uh, and I, yeah, and I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of like that. So contemporary, so anywhere in between contemporary folk and chamber pop, I don't know where you can draw the line, or if there's somewhere in the middle that you can that we can, uh, if there's another genre that combines the two, but folkish, popish music, I guess. Yeah, I like both those terms too. I think they're both very complimentary. Oh yeah, I'm okay with them. They, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm good with them. Do you care? Do you care what the category is? Um, I think I, d I don't, um, within myself, uh, I think, uh, it would make my life a little easier in terms of, um, working in the music industry, um, uh, and particularly with press, um, and, and programs and billings and things. I think if we were, if people were able to pin us down a bit more, um, but, um, but no, I don't know. I don't know if genres really ever played a huge part in, um, in my listening tastes or my life or the way that I've kind of thought about things. I just kind of gravitate towards lots of different stuff. Um, um, and I think it's uh, the intent behind it or the, or the people behind it that maybe interest me more than the way it, the way it sounds seems ridiculous, but like, um, uh, its background or how people like to categorize it. So, um, so yeah, so I didn't really think about it when writing um, either album. Has it been challenging for, if, I mean, if that's even a goal, but has it been challenging for people within the jazz community or jazz industry to receive it, either the first album or the most recent album? Uh, just because I, yeah, because I just reflect on, I think about, people like, you know, I think about people like Robert Glasper and the kind of hybridization of jazz and R&B and that that really hasn't hindered him at all. I think, I think even if you took out his kind of prowess as a musician and his clout and profile as a jazz musician, if you took that out of the equation, the actual music he's producing, none of the big time, you know, very obviously jazz publications have said, Oh well, I don't know where to put this, Bob. You know, like, yeah, and I yeah. and I wonder, and I and I mean, I guess my hope is that jazz will catch up in terms of the genre blending that is definitely happening. And I hear it a lot coming out of the the sort of UK jazz scene between pop and jazz, and and not even yeah, I mean, pop is in popular music. Sure, why not? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um... I don't know, like I, I just haven't really gone near the jazz press with this music. I don't really think it's what it is. I think I think over my my studies um and my work, um, I guess as a jazz instrumentalist, um I've kind of always I've kind of found it quite challenging to to put my myself into that uh, like as as somebody writing their own music, uh put myself into that canon and to find myself in that community. Um like it, I love that music immeasurably um, and it means the world to me, but it's just so, it's, 
the background and the histories of those musicians and the heritage of that music is so different to what I know um, as, a, as a person. Um, and so I love playing it to pieces. I love improvising. I think improvising is just, and being able to improvise as a musician, um, I don't know where I'd be without it. I think it's just a, um, a very honest and beautiful thing. But, um, but um, I, think when it, I, think, I think when it came to me making my own music, as opposed to me playing as a sideman or playing as somebody else's music or turning up to a jam session or learning tunes or practicing or whatever. Um, that was kind of when I got off the bus and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is what, I don't think this is what I have to say, you know? Um, and yeah, like as, as far as like what jazz is, um, I, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and where it, where it belongs in the wider picture, like I'm not, and where it's going, like I don't, I'm not sure. And like, it's a conversation I'm delighted to have. Um, um, but I know that the answers I give will probably make a lot of people angry or they, will, you know, they, would, they wouldn't, you know, we, it's, it's a very contentious subject because it's, because the music is inherently so, uh, so culturally rich, so diverse, so political, so, um, uh, so anguished, you know, um, uh, so it is an, I think it is an emotional thing when people talk about what jazz is and where it's going. Um, and certainly you're here in London, uh, the scene has changed immeasurably to when, you know, I came, first started working here. It's a different, it's a different thing. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, and you're quite right. It is, it's very much going in a sort of neo-soul kind of direction. Um, um, and there is a lineage, like I can, I can see, I know what, I can see why, like, you know, um, it's 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 not it's not a million miles away from 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 jazz's conception um so there is a but and i think there's probably a greater line, like line that can be drawn between jazz and neo soul than jazz and chamber pop or jazz and contemporary folk you know um so i've just so i've kind so yeah so i so besides the fact that a lot of the people that play on the two seafarers albums I do have histories as jazz musicians and do are notable on the scene as jazz instrumentalists. I've kind of just not, uh, I've just kind of taken it out of that community. Um, uh, certainly in terms of, uh, cer certainly in terms of where I, where I place it in a, in a, in a press and coverage kind of um, point of view. For all my years I've sailed the sea In the hope you might come after me But hopes are hopes and never true So I jumped the boat and swam to you I swam to you Smoking by the backstage door Your face half lit in candlelight But I walked without you through the night 
And I, I promise now I'll move away from classifications. You're like, oh my gosh, she's doing this conversation. As you mentioned, you, you are a saxophonist. And I was very aware of you playing saxophone on the first album. Yeah, which came out in, in 2020, we should add. And it was called Orlando. It is called. And then I kind of did a double take on this album, the new album, which I should also say is called Two, Roman numeral two. Because I suddenly thought cool, I don't think Matthew's playing saxophone on this. And then I see that, okay, you played other things. You did a bit of synthesizer, you did a bit of singing, which doesn't surprise me uh, since you are the songwriter. So I often, you know, think there's a connection there. So tell me about that shifting and how you see your role within this outfit now. Yeah, the my relationship, my relationship with the saxophone in this band is kind of been... <laughs> an interesting one um I'm not sure like I so I guess it's funny I I write all the songs uh the music and the words at uh, at this at this piano <laughs> um I, I I know this is this is radio and a podcast so people can't see me gesturing towards this piano behind me but there is a piano behind me um and uh and for and certainly for the second album what I ended up doing was making like a sort of an, like an album of demos uh, that I could then send to the band that they could learn um, along with the music but because but um I but the way I wrote it was much more like a singer-songwriter as opposed to maybe uh maybe the way that I had written before as an instrumentalist which was with manuscript paper and surveillance and making charts like all nice and things um so that musicians could sight read them instead this 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 was a lot more um oral in its conception you know um I I I sort of I wrote the songs, I learned the songs, except they were kind of in my head as opposed to on paper. Um, so it seemed like the most useful way to do that was to uh, make a little homemade album of me, um, me doing it on the piano. Uh, and that's how the band learned. Uh, and then when we did the, the studio, we did we just kind of we just kind of did it on a grander scale, <laughs> um, remade the, the demos. Um, so that kind, so I think. I just never really heard the saxophone in it. It's funny. I think there's enough of me there without the without the the saxophone. Can, the saxophone is a very emotional instrument. I think it it can it's um, uh, it's it's very human uh, and it can be quite a lot. It can if there's a lot going on already. If there's quite a a 
you know, songs have words, so they're inherently quite emotional and they're quite, and they can be more literal than, than instrumental music. Um, then I'm always just kind of conscious of overhegging the pudding a bit by just putting too much stuff on or make, you know, or making it a bit saccharine. Um, I'm a big, big fan of trying to refine, 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 refine and have the most direct version of whatever it is, um, not just as a songwriter, but also when we're actually like producing it. Um, um, so it just never really, like we tried it in bits and I was just never really, even on the first album, there's bits where I'm like, could do with a bit less of that. <laughs> could just take that out. Um, you know, like I'm just always, always thinking, um, what's the reason? Like, why is it there? Why do I, is it, is it really necessary? Um, and usually the answer is no. Um, and there's just one track right at the end um, of the second album. Um, it's a song called All That Matters, um, which we recorded live. Um, and we recorded it in the evening and we, and Ewan Burton, um, our producer was like, oh, grab your horn and let's see what happens. Um, so there's a little tiny bit right at the end. Um, uh, but, um, but I think, I think having that little 16 bars or whatever, um, only appearing once, um, is, a uh, sort of helps, sort of helps shape everything else. It gives, it, you know, it's a new, it's, it's a new texture. It only happens once. It's right at the end of the album. We could do something new. To, you know, it's a. Um, so I think, I think it's, um, yeah. I just, I so seldom ever think it's necessary. Have you always found it easy to be restrained, or are you aware that the ability to edit to this degree and to strive for the recorded result to be lean has that come over time, or has that always been your outlook? Because I think of that as quite a mature trait. Well, um, thank you. Um, I think it's something I've been hyper aware of since writing songs. I'm just really conscious that of the power of songwriting um, in a way that. Uh, jazz can be experimental and messy and that's part of the joy and it's uh, and it's fiery and it's got dialogue and uh, and its authenticity and its charisma is in the fact that it is unedited. Um, uh, songs, I think particularly this, uh, I think particularly the way that I, the, the, type, the type of songwriting that I kind of naturally kind of gravitate towards, um, uh, it just it feels really um a it it feels really vivid and it feels like it feels like it, um like um I just have to be particularly if you're writing about emotional subjects then it can so easily be it can so it can so easily um lose its sting if you um uh I think if you if you if you don't edit if you if, if 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 you do think oh let's make it big and amazing let's end the world with a song it's like I think the fact that it is somebody saying words to you is, is I think that's huge you know I think that's quite and it can be quite overwhelming um so um I kind of just want to um like it's just like framing it you know framing the words um and the melody as sort of uh, as simply and hopefully as evocatively as possible. Um, there's this really great book 
called Theatre for Beginners, um, which I got, <laughs> it's really small. Um, and I can't remember how I stumbled upon it. Um, but I I kind of, it, it's, you know, the, the, you know, there's like loads of books on art theory and, you know, um, like really great creators talking about the way they create things. Um, and I read quite a lot of them and some of them are quite, some of them are really nice and some of them are quite flabby and some of them are a bit alienating. Um, but Theatre for Beginners is just this lovely like 72 page long, um, tiny, tiny pamphlet book by a guy called Richard Maxwell, who is a theatre maker from, um, uh, I think he works in New York City. Um, and he talks um, about building a, it's like, the, it's like the, the importance of kind of building a set and letting people kind of walk around the set and come to their own conclusions. Um, uh, he talks about loads of things in that book that really chimed with me. Um, it is all about theatre making, but I think so much of it um, I can kind of ascribe to songwriting and making music. Um, it's That's how I think of it. It's like you build a world and you kind of don't want to like push your feelings onto the listeners too much, like, um, because then it becomes about me. But the beauty of, I think, or the art, I think, in uh, um, in songwriting is trying to make something that is inherently about me, um, because I guess I'm its genesis, you know, like it came from me, um, about you and not about me anymore. Um, and I think that's, I think being able to navigate that thing is, um, a, is really hard. And, and, part, and, it's, it, and that is kind of the art. If you can do that, and then I think, you know, um, a, I think you're, then I think your music will always be quite generous. And uh, even if you're talking about things that you've experienced that have maybe played quite a, um, a large, um, like emotional toll on, on, on you as a person, it's like, it's trying to not be too dear diary about it and trying to be like, how can other people get into this? Like, how can we boil it down to something that, you know, if I was Richard Maxwell, how can I build a set of like a bedroom that everybody could think was their bedroom aged 15 or 16, you know? Like, how do you let people in that much to your, uh, to your thing, um, so that they can make their own connection with it? Um, so that's a long-winded way of answering your question about production. But I, but I think that I think trying to get, I think trying to cut away at all the, all the bit, all the excess, um, all the stuff that uh, might just be fat or baggage that, um, that might drown the message or that might push people. Uh, you know, it might push the song too much onto people. It might be, it might be overly emotional if there's a big weepy saxophone solo and uh, you know, and a string orchestra and someone pouring their heart out. You know, um, loads of uh, emotional affects on the on the voice. Then, I quite like trying to find as um, hopefully not boring, but 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 sort of um, a, I don't know, like. So I just try and remove it from myself so that other people can, can make the connection. I love that analogy from the theatre book. And I think that a lot of listeners like to hear about jazz musicians talk about process as it pertains to things like improvising or just learning how to play their instrument or learning how to absorb the jazz language because it's so vast. But I think that songwriting as it exists within the kind of jazz context really doesn't get spoken about enough and you have a lot of jazz vocalists certainly moving into writing original song once they've done their stint reinterpreting the Great American Songbook. And then you have, which is a point of 
contention for me, although I encourage them to do it, but I encourage them to learn how to self-edit the way that you clearly do. You have a lot of jazz instrumentalists saying, I'm gonna write a song and I'm gonna write lyrics. And that for me often is a head in hand moment. Not because I rate myself so highly as a songwriter, but because I feel like improvisation or learning how to band lead or whatever it is, it's not just something you can wake up one day and do. There is a certain amount from the majority, obviously there are exceptions to every bloom and rule and everyone likes to think they're the exception, but there is studying to be had and there's a thought process much like you describe here to be had about, well, why am I adding lyrics? And are these saccharine? Am I falling into cliched tropes? And I think that whole process, it's so lovely to have you on here to talk about it. I'm delighted to talk about it. I'm delighted to have someone to talk about it with. Um, it's great. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a world of um, contradictions. You know, it's, you kind of don't want to stifle yourself with rules. You know, you, you, know, it's, I, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm, uh, like I want to come on here and be like, this is your, <laughs> do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Like a lot of it is just trying it and trying it and trying it. Um, and gradually, um, you know, um, gradually refining and refining and refining like that. Um, that lovely thing about people making statues out of marble. It's like you chip away the marble. It's not like you add more marble onto a marble block. You know, you, you have to get rid of so much of it and you keep getting rid of until you're, uh, until you um, have a solution that works for you um, at that moment in time. Um, so, um, so yeah, it is hard and it's just a lot of doing. Um, and I don't know, I guess I, I guess I wouldn't be fun anymore if I knew how, like, how you try, uh, you know, how you're able to evoke a certain feeling without actually telling someone to feel a certain way, you know. Um, uh, a lot of it does seem to be this kind of magical, said thing where you just you, do, you just show up to the piano every day with your notebook and your pen and you uh you, I, like you know and if you're me I like I I I, I read a lot I just I, I try and experience lots of things um and I try and be quite aware of my own feelings when I'm experiencing them you know like if I'm um like I read quite a lot of poetry but so much of it I just don't I wouldn't call myself like a poetry expert. It's just like, um, they're quite, you know, and I don't really know much about poetry, but like, and so many of them, say if I read like a hundred poems, like, you know, like 95 of them will pass me by and I'll forget all about them. Um, but five of them might stick and like two of them might bowl me over. Um, and I think as long as that's just that, as long as it's being aware of like, why, why does, why does, why is that one? All the hundred poets were really great, but why, why me? Why those two? Why me? What chimed with me about those two? Um, um, so I think it's just experiencing like a volume of stuff and trying to um, and trying to understand what does it for you and then maybe if you understand what does it for you then you can get closer to eliciting the same feeling on your own listeners. Shame Likes to hide In the voices of children who shout when they're shy All that matters is you're giving it a try Thank you.
shapes flicker by a quiet confession disturbing the light but all that matters is you're giving it a try Hello, a quick note from me, Nikki, to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if that's something that tickles your fancy. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of listeners who are so enthused by these conversations that they head over to Patreon to join the Jazz Session's Patreon page. They become patrons. If you go to thejazzsession.com slash join, that's thejazzsession.com slash join, it will link you to the Patreon page and you'll be able to find out more about how you can become a member for as little as $5 per month today. So please do head over to that link if that sounds interesting and enticing to you. There are all sorts of perks to be had and there are only two tiers of membership, $5 a month or $10 a month. Take your pick. The other way that you can support the podcast is by rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This takes a matter of seconds, rating it to be specific, and it helps with the podcast's visibility on web pages, in searches. It helps other folks who might be interested in these conversations find the podcast. Really important and invaluable in the world of podcasting. The other way you can support this show is by tweeting, Facebooking, or Instagramming about the show at large or about specific episodes that you know you really enjoy. So please do feel free to give the show a shout out. And if you tag the jazz session on any of those social media platforms, I'll be sure to repost your wonderful praise and gladly so. So thank you for listening and for any support that you may show the podcast now or in the near future. Now back to my conversation with Matthew. To your point about there's no uh, there's no right way or wrong way to go about it. There are a million ways to skin a cat or write a song. We do live in a world where there are songwriters that we hold in high regard because they do manage to knock it out of the park more often than not, right? So who are some of your songwriter loves? Um, oh, fantastic. How long have you got? Um, uh, one of my earliest loves was, um, and still is, uh, is Joni Mitchell, um, who uh, is... Uh, who who is held in quite who who has breached the jazz divide? She's held in very high regard in um, in jazz spheres, um, and I guess she had a there was a jazz element to her output. She worked with um, with the Mingus Band, Dini and uh, Michael Brecker and Jack Pistorius. So um, there is probably a natural kind of a uh, crossover there. Um, I do want to add these don't have to be jazz people because if you ask me who my favourite songwriters were, they wouldn't be jazz. I mean, I, I mean, I love the Gershwins and Irving Berlin and Cole Porter and they're, they're absolute geniuses. But, you know, who influences you now and is putting out music now? And unfortunately, may they rest in peace, you know. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, now... No, Joni um, is Joni is, is queen across the board. Joni so forever. I'm here for Joni forever and ever and ever. Um, uh, now I... Okay, um, I love Big Thief. I think Adrian Lenker, who is a songwriter for that, um, is, like, on... Favorably talented, like the 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 um they're not just a, re- a really great band um they, they are a really great band uh um it's uh, her 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 prolific output and sort of singular gift for songwriting and very specific way of writing songs and a very very specific voice. I don't really I don't really mean that sonically in the way that she sings. I, I mean that kind of um. In her, in her, you can you can identify one a mile off. That's that's um, that's amazing. Um, so she's huge. Um, I love Gillian Welch. Um, I think there's speaking of like refinement and starkness. Um, she is. It's she. It's the way that she sings, the way that she plays. Her instrumentation is always often just very sparse. It's just her and David Rollins, two guitars, the occasional harmony. Um, uh stark truths everything's everything's bare everything's um but never it's never cold there's so much empathy there and um, i think she um she tries that line really really beautifully um um i'm trying to think of other people that have really that have really sort of amazed me um i've always really loved alabama shakes and Brittany howard um uh there's I think that's a, that's a very different thing. That's a very there's like a there's it's it's really new songwriting uh, and quite unusual. Um, um, but there's a huge tradition there. Like that, like I love it when you can listen to someone and you can just feel the weight of history underneath their feet. Like they like who they've who they've learned from and who they like. They just know so much about music, and I get that every time I listen to. Um, Funny you should say that, but you know when Joni Mitchell was honoured at Kennedy Centre honours, yeah. uh, was it beginning of this year or end of last year? And uh, in fact, Britney sang a tribute, and it was the stand. I don't know. Have you seen Ooh. it? Because I'll send. Send me a link. Yeah. So I mean that will I mean that will basically be your happy place where you've got Britney from Alabama yeah. Shakes singing Joni Mitchell and astonishing. I'll send you that link. Both sides now. No, along similar like, like I, it was another um, was it the year before or two years before? Maybe it was two years before. We were at the same honors um, a celebration. It was Carol King. Um, I've just always really loved Tapestry. It's one of my. Um, it's great. I mean, like the real uh there's this really great heritage of songwriters that that write for work um which i sort of has just always really <laughs> always really amazed me because I, I find it quite if someone were to, were to be like write a song about the weather then i'd find it quite hard um uh you know um yeah if they were sending you daily into the brill building and being like yeah. here's <laughs> yeah. your office here's a sensational yeah. popular band ready to record whatever you put out today and you'd be like yeah okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah 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 yeah. Sure. It is. It's, it's it is astonishing. I mean, on the on the note of of Carol King, that was that is an amazing, unbelievable. Um, and going back, you know, and going like going back to your um your early reference to uh, Cole Porter and the Gershwin Brothers and Harold Arlen and you know Oscar Harrison, like um Roger Harrison, like 
insane. They just like the Great American Songbook is people walking, paying the rent. You know, that's mad. Um, you know, um, so I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of love and respect for that kind of songwriting, despite the fact that um uh that that's not really how I work. Um I, I end up just writing for me and me alone, but um, which is a real luxury. But um yeah, but there's just there's there's such um I think Carol King manages to do it more so than anybody else where, where she does manage to write songs that fill other people's briefs that they you know, like that that you know write songs for a purpose beyond just her own self-expression but they do seem to have she she I can't just separate them from her they are hers and she does think like will you like will you still love me tomorrow like her performance of that on tapestry is it, it like it just evokes certain feelings that I don't really I don't know any other songs that do that. I do like there's like she touches on this. The, there's like a sense of of uh, of of really pained desperation, but she doesn't want to be feeling desperate because she kind of knows that she's better than this relationship. And that's such a like, that's such a specific emotion. <laughs> that's so like how does how does she manage to? And it's not as if she like she doesn't. She, it's not like she grabs you by the lapels and like <laughs> like screams it in your face. It's all suggestion and it's all in the unsaid and it's all in the little nuances that she manages to weave into the writing and the performance. Um, it's so clever. It's so clever. Um, and it is you know and. The cleverness is not in the it's not an epic song with a million chords and a huge orchestra behind it and it's not it's just her at piano with like four or five chords and it's immense it's immense talent and that leads me on nicely to my next question which is all the songwriters that you happen to mention now are female and I wondered, I know, and I'm sure there are male, there are male songwriters that you revere, but you know, if I put you on the spot and said, rattle off a list, they are all female, which is interesting to me because perhaps it speaks to the fact that your songs by and large are imagined in the voice of a female singer. And uh, I, I did want to ask you about your work with the Irish vocalist, Lauren Kinsella, who's really such a big part of the identity of this band because she is your lead singer. And she is from Ireland, but she's based in the UK and really does such astonishing work across the board. I'm a big fan. So can you tell me about having her be the literal voice of your words and your songs and also the fact that you are singing a bit on this album on two I don't know if you sang at all on Orlando and on your Instagram page you also sing uh you've done a couple of um lovely intimate covers of the songs European so you're completely able uh so tell me about handing over those duties and and whether you will sing more of the songs on future albums perhaps Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a really, it's a really interesting one. Like I, um, so first and foremost, I, I, the people that are in the band and the people that make the albums are, um, are, are people that are, ob are obviously very talented and excellent musicians. Um, um, but there are people that I have a very strong uh, personal connection with, um, I, and the people that have come um, to me through very, through through very different walks of life, um, which is really special when they're on the one room because I've, there's some people that I've known since I was 16, uh, um, and I, and there's you know some that I met like Lauren through music college, and then some that I met through my work as a teacher. It's um, it's 
uh, it's really fascinating. Um, but they're just all people that have had a, a, a huge impact on me as a person. Um, and Lauren, um, yeah, uh, Lauren was sort of the, she, she used to sing a lot of my, uh, she used to write words for my instrumental compositions when we were studying together. Um, um, and uh, we used to spend an awful lot of time talking about people like Carol King and Jodie Mitchell um, when, there, when everybody else, you know, uh, at college at the time, at music college at the time, were, you know, talking about um, uh, maybe like instrumentalists and stuff. We were always the ones uh, um, talking about songs and, and, and songwriters. Um, so she was, uh, she was the first, call, like the only call, you know, for, uh, somebody who I had a very close personal relationship with and somebody who liked the same music that I, I knew, to, you know, like where I was probably coming from musically. Um, and had an immense amount of trust with Lauren um, and, a, uh, and a great deal of um, love for her as a musician and also as a person. So um, it, it was a no brainer really. Um, and I think, so from then on, uh, there's a, the, the rest of it's quite nice sort of happenstance. Like what, 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 what then is able to happen when I give my songs to somebody else, particularly someone with a, uh, particularly a, a female vocalist is that there's love there's, there's this really I like it there's this there's this fun kind of gender interplay that happens where I'm uh I, I which I which I think also affects me as a songwriter like I end up um you know some of the people that I'm that I end up uh, the points of view that I that I end up writing from tend like are, are, are maybe female or that like in my head they're, they're female despite the fact that that you know maybe I'm writing like um in the first person um I, that's just a funny thing that you know a subconscious thing that happens in my head but like um there is the, I, you mentioned earlier there's a spoken word track on the first album and I remember giving it to Lauren uh, as a as a as a, a as a thing to read uh, and she said you should read it and I was like oh no no no, no I, don't, I, 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 I and I was a nervous that I about I, I don't sing on the first album uh, I, 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 I would that would have that would have crippled me. Um, hugely nervous about doing that. Um, uh, but even the idea of speaking on the first album would have, you know, uh, was enough to send me reeling. So A, I was nervous, and B, I had just had it was um it was written from the point of view of a female. I just always had the that first person as uh, as a female protagonist for that um for that piece of writing. Um so uh, so it's funny. So I it does, but I didn't <laughs> I that wasn't really something that, I, that I'd acknowledged until. Uh, until I was made to think about it when she asked me that question. Um, so it was funny. Um, I think it does. I think it, I think it's quite freeing for me as well, um, knowing that it'll be uh, that a lot of the songs will be um, a song by Lauren. Um, and then I think there's this other thing that it does, which is quite nice, um, or I I like when there's a few songs that more recently that I've written that um, are maybe more personal or maybe more direct uh, in. Uh, uh, in their nature than their lyrics. Um, and I think having Lauren sing them, she's sort of like a narrator. She, um, where uh, she sort of describes these things with a sense of removal, which I quite like. Um, again, it sort of goes back to that, uh, uh, the theatre making thing where you're refining, you're refining, you're refining, you're refining, trying desperately not to make, not to, 
um, push your emotions onto the listener. Um, and I think Lauren's um, um, very, very beautiful voice, but quite emotionless voice um, is um, a, uh, really helps. Um, uh, and it's something I really like. Um, so um, in terms of my own singing, um, the yeah, I, I sing a little bit on, on this album, as does um, our guitarist Aaron, who um, uh, who's um, who's uh, who's the newest and the youngest member of the band. Uh, he's got a, he's got a really a terrific, um, uh, fair, very very characterful voice. So he does quite a lot of the backing vocals on this, and I do sing a little bit. Uh, and I have been doing these, <laughs> I have been doing these covers on Instagram, where um, which was um, it was to try and give the first like the. Uh, the first perspective of the album it was, it was to try and give like a sort of insight into the demos um where where these songs started uh so it's sort of coming full circle because how they sound on the instagram clips are sort of how they initially sounded um before they went to the band in the studio um so yeah like um i uh, i don't know i i i think i i think the further and further and further away i get from uh, jazz college the more i uh, and the further into this kind of music um i get the more the 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 less het up i feel about not having like a perfect voice or being you know um because i think it's more i think for this kind of music it's 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 all storytelling it's all character um a lot of it's uh, uh a lot of it should sound quite vulnerable so someone who can't sing very well <laughs> As long as you know, uh, you know, or who doesn't have a grand, um, you know, a beautifully practiced, beautifully refined um, singing voice, someone who sings with a with a bit of a, a yearning vul vulnerability and humanity actually can work quite nicely in this music. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So going forward, like going forward, maybe, maybe I would. Um, I, I like it's it's how I write now. I sing as I write, um, so it feels quite authentic to then um, have a little element of that in the studio. Um, um, and there's this thing that I that I heard, there was a couple albums that I heard um, before we actually went into the studio to record two, um, where it's really great. Um, I wish I could remember where he's from. He's um, Hey, precisely, he's a really great American singer-songwriter called Anthony DaCosta, um, and he had some really beautiful uh, moments on an album he released last year, uh, where uh, he sings lead, but um, his backing vocals are always female, and I just love that um, uh, the interplay between um, a male voice and a and a, a, and a female voice in uh, like octave unison or two octave unison, depending on. I think that's really, really. There's a beautiful sense of. Uh, of community, I think that comes with that. There's a, like, it just it feels like you know uh, there, there's a warmth. I think that comes from having um, a, a, having the two voices work like that. So, um, so there's quite a few bits where uh, I think all, almost all the backing vocals on two are Aaron and myself um, and Lauren sings all the lead. Resentful of the rental store, dismissed for stealing videos. Butter kissed you cross the road and caught me from a payphone. Oh. 
16 candles, five foot nine. Struck matches on the bins behind the cinema. I felt your eyelash brush across my cheekbones. Your lashes brush my cheekbones. And the show. spoken about your bandmates some but there's a an extra bandmate on both albums which is the studio at which you recorded real world studios oh yeah um which is you know famously i guess it was conceived by peter gabriel in you know 1986 uh, but it is gorgeous and i wanted to know both about your decision to record there and the experience of recording there and i would love listeners to go online and just have a look at a couple images of the studio because it's a knockout yeah it's um it's magic um so so yeah um i think uh, so the, the 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 situation that that i guess um orlando came about in was was um i just had like i just amassed like a bunch of tunes i i, I didn't really have a band at the time but, but i i've just always written uh and i just kind of amassed amassed a bunch of some like sort of solo piano instrumental things um and some some songs and that little spoken word thing uh and um and loads of scraps like a big box of bits of manuscript paper um and i just and I just sort of reached a time in my life where I was like, I should probably do some of these because they'll just keep it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and no one will. Um, and I just felt like quite a good time. Um, I was 28 uh, to uh, to just phone up um, some of my favorite people um, and see see what happened. I had no expect and I had no expectations. Um, but a big part of it for me was to try uh, was to was to be quite workshoppy in our in our in our process and to get out of London. I didn't, I, I, I kind of wanted to just be away together for a week um, and to catch up. And, we, and like, we, you know, we've cut, we, we, as I say, like, um, uh, they all, um, we all have, they all have quite direct, quite um, direct connections to me, but they could be quite disparate to each other. <laughs> you know, um, the, uh, the people involved in making this record. Um, so having them all in the same place for a week, I, I just thought would be terrific. And I'd made an album at Real World as a sideman Oh, I don't know. Uh, a good few years ago now, maybe like eight or nine years ago. Um, um, and one of the really nice things about the studio is that it is out of London. You just go and you stay and you kind of live there. And the actual live room and has the it's everybody's in. There's no separation. Um, everybody's just in the one room and the uh, and the desk and the sound engineer and the producer are just all hard. They're just in the middle. It's just like it's just a big hall. It's the big space, um, and I really liked that idea because I didn't <laughs> mainly because I just didn't collaboration was it was a huge part of it. I didn't really know what this would sound like. I didn't know what Orlando 
could sound like, would sound like, or whatever. I just kind of written the notes on the page and the words. Um, but in terms of arrangements and in terms of a, a production and sound, um, I was, um, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to work with people with ideas. Um, and that seemed like the perfect environment to work with people. Um, um, so what Orlando then went on to, uh, like how, how it panned out, how that session panned out, and then a, how it was received was all kind of uh, a really pleasing byproduct of what initially was just something for me to try and, you know, to just get some people together and see what happened. Um, like, so, um, and, and I think then what it did was it sort of, um, personally, it gave me kind of validation as a songwriter. It was like, oh, I can, oh, it's okay if I do this. I was less shameful about, um, about writing my own words and about writing uh, in a songy kind of way, as opposed to an instrumentally kind of way, and I think you, I think you can, I think that's maybe reflected across both albums. Like a lot of this, a lot of the melodies that Lauren sings on the first album uh, are quite instrumental. They're quite rangy um, and could be played perhaps on a saxophone without words um, because they're quite because uh, they're quite involving. Um, but you know. Uh, but you mentioned Bob Dylan earlier, you know, if you tried to take it's all right math and, <laughs> and actually describe pitch, you wouldn't have, you know, um, a sort of Debussyan uh, melody necessarily. Um, so, um, you know, but that's the way that loads of songs are written. Um, it's, a, it's about the words and the message and the melody is something that is maybe improvised or, you know, a, a, the focus is taken off the melody. Um, um, so yeah, so I certainly felt more assured after doing Orlando, um, but I was just, I had so, um, I had such good faith in the process. I wanted to use exactly the same team um, from pretty much the main musicians. We have a few extra characters joining us for this, for the second record. Um, um, definitely for the environment, uh, definitely from uh, a, from our production team and even to uh, the people who actually make the physical copies of the record, uh, Matt, Chloe and Sarah, who are responsible for um, making the things look lovely. Um, I felt like I'd met loads of really amazing people that I wouldn't have met through the jazz scene. Um, and I was uh, and I was delighted that they were also lovely. And I just really enjoyed what they did with the first album. So it felt really um, appropriate to just um, to start with the same team and then if I needed to draw any other people in, then great, but um, it, felt like a little, it felt like a nice little community and, uh, and a really great environment for us to be, um, to be making an album. Well, I'm very glad that what was a, I guess, a passion project, a personal project, it's led to not one, but two fantastic albums. And I'm sure that all those people that you brought into your orbit are incredibly lucky and thrilled. Oh no! I yeah, it was. It sort of felt like the only thing to do. It was just, I, like I'd been put, I've been I've been putting it off. I've um, I've sort of not touched on it, but I have a um, I work a lot in a school and uh, in a secondary school, and uh, uh, working with um, uh, the young musicians there, and um, and that was I think certainly when I made Orlando, so seeing in my late twenties, it was. It was. It, I, I could have kind of kept going. It was, you know, I, I could have just uh, a, um, 
spent my life. I'm I'm very happy doing it. I love doing it. It's I've met some amazing people doing it. Um, um, but there was a couple instances where students had said to me, I think it was like there was one, there was <laughs> there was one particularly talented and very precocious young man who actually um a his I mentioned him earlier um he's 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 grown up to play guitar in the band um but um it was when he was he must have been like 15 or something um and um in our lessons we used I used um I used to just teach him um folk songs like Celtic folk songs we used to play he'd play guitar play piano I mean he'd play some saxophone um but I do I really vividly remember this lesson I just taught him black is the color which is just one of the most haunting and one of my favorite um pieces of music ever um and uh he was um and I'm very grateful to him for this he was bold enough to say um at age 15 <laughs> so um is this it for you then is this is this what you'll be doing? Is this what you'll be doing year after year, day after day? You know, I had, you know, teaching at the time I was teaching like 50 kids a week, you know, it was a lot. Um, uh, and just seeing them pass through your hands from 11 years old to 18 years old and move on for, and then the cycle just continues and continues and continues. Um, and I think when, I think when someone says something like that to you, you can't, it, it, it it's not, you know, it does, it does a couple things, not all of them wonderful, um, but, uh, but it does make you think, um, you know, uh, he knew I wrote song, he like, he knew I wrote, I'd, I'd always show him my notebooks and what I was going through and stuff. Um, um, so he must have thought, it must have been quite genuine, you know, like, is, is this, is this fine? Um, and it did make me think, you know, um, and there was another instance, I think it was, I think, I think they happened really close to each other, like maybe a week later or something. It was after a, it was after a school concert. Um, and um, <laughs> on my way to the car park, the mother of another student said to me, and she worked, she's a, uh, uh, she's a very talented classical musician in her, in her own right, um, and has always been had, was always been very supportive of me um, in school and things. Uh, and she said, uh, "So you know, how's life? What's going on?" Um, and I said, "Oh, well, I've got a bit more teaching here. I'm really enjoying it. I'm getting really stuck in and, uh, and stuff." And then she just looked at me and said, "Well, what about your career?" And I was like, "Oh, but I thought I thought this was is this not can this not be my career?" Um, and I think having though both those instances happen, you know, so close together made me just think oh, well maybe maybe I just couldn't I couldn't see the world of jazz at the time I couldn't see my place in it I couldn't and I was sort of looking at this thing and I was looking and I was sitting in the classroom teaching a boy a folk song that would have me like uh having an existential every time I played at the piano um you know being so moved by working with these teenagers and so moved by loads of different kinds of music and just not really find being able to find my place in, in it or the world or you know um you know and not knowing what the genre was uh, you know to go back to the beginning of our conversation not knowing um how how do you release an album you know i've i don't ever done i i you know i had a i i've, I've always i'm been very grateful to to have like enough work as a sideman playing other people's projects but i've never held the reins you know i'd never booked gigs and i'd never you know i played in other people's sessions but i've never done my own so um and i didn't know what it would sound like um but um, I think those two nudges were more than anything else saying, well, what are you so scared about? What's the worst that could happen? 
And when you, you know, and when you do just call up five of your friends and book a nice studio in the countryside and take along your notebook, what is the worst that could happen? Um, so, um, so I'm very great, <laughs> you know, it stung a bit at the time, but I'm very grateful for both, <laughs> for both of them, uh, for, uh, for giving me a push. And, you know, and you don't need, that was, I, you know, I, 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 that was, that, that, I, that was my fascination with Orlando, the, the character, um, Virginia Woolf's Orlando, was this, you know, was this character who has, who, who is, who's not confined by the bounds of time or a lifespan or a gender or, um, or, or a job or any of the constraints of, um, of societal constraints or, um, or physical constraints that we, that are just so, you know, that are just so in our blood, um, that it's just this being that just sort of, um, is anything it wants to be. Um, and, um, and I really, and I, and I kind of, I kind of like that thought. I mean, obviously, you know, you do come across things along the way, you know, or what, you know, well, who am I in this room and what, uh, you know, and what is my, you know, what, what does my music sound like? And will it be, and will people, people be able to hear about it if I don't have a genre? <laughs> and, you know, can I sing? And do I have to play the saxophone? And, you know, there's just so many questions that are, that are so big because I am a saxophone player, I'm not a singer, and I can't, I've never had singing lists, I can't sing, and I can't write songs, like, I don't know what I'm doing, like, lyrics, they must, you, they, they, like, you need to know what you're doing to write lyrics, and the answer really is, you don't, it's just all nonsense, people just think you do, or I certainly thought I did, um, uh, and I don't know if that was just a hang-up of education, or music college, or whatever, where I was just surrounded by people who were just so virtuosic and excellent, um, in all their different um, strains, uh, but I certainly felt this, yeah, that it would sort of just be this weird kind of run off a cliff into the darkness kind of thing and see what happens. So I'm very glad I did it. Well, I mean, that's a very poetic place on which to end, Matt. And we're very glad you did it too. And thank gosh for parents with gumption and cheeky students <laughs> for pushing us out, out of our comfort zone. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the jazz session and talking about this music and, and so much more. It's been a treat. Oh no, Nikki! Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. Um, it's a it's a huge privilege to talk about this music uh, and um, and what I do with anyone, um, uh, particularly someone so wonderful. So thank you.
A huge thank you to this week's guest, saxophonist and songwriter Matthew Hurd. Seafarer's new album, Two, is available now wherever you buy your music. I will make a note in the show notes for this episode as to what tracks were played and any links mentioned, they'll go in those show notes too. A huge thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music of this show. You're welcome to follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Facebook and Instagram at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page to which you can subscribe if you want to watch video excerpts of my conversations with The Jazz Session's guests. A huge thank you to the patrons over at thejazzsession.com slash join. Head there today if you want to become a patron member and thank you to the listeners for tuning in and to any support that you may shower upon this show whether it's telling a friend family or four-legged pal about how much you enjoy these conversations my name is nikki schrerer and i will see you next week for another conversation with an astounding jazz musician about their music and their process here on the jazz session